Welcome to Persons of Interest, a podcast featuring interviews with interesting people doing interesting things, diving into careers, personal stories, life lessons, and more. Here's your host, Derek Dockett. The first episode here in 2023, I'm really excited about because I'm really trying to branch out uh, outside of the sports world, outside of my journalism world, and talk to some people that are doing unique things as all of these podcasts are. But this one is one that really intrigues me because A, of my past, and she doesn't even know this, but my past involvement at Missouri State University sitting on the Alumni Association's Board of Directors and still somewhat involved as part of the Alumni Council and volunteering when I can. But she founded and she's the CEO of a company of an organization that does work with higher education. So I'm really pleased to bring in Dr. Liz Gross. Dr. Liz, as I always talk to you on Twitter, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And you can drop the doctor if you like. No, I'd like to be respectful. That's your title, but really thank you for doing this. Um, I don't even remember how I first discovered, I think it might've been Steve App, who was a previous employee of yours. He's since moved on from Campus Sonar, but I just got interested in what you guys were doing. Again, I work in education now, working in K-12, but still highly involved with my college alma mater and try to be involved from an alumni standpoint. But you founded an organization that you're running that works in higher ed. And if you can tell people about Campus Sonar, what you do, and we'll jump into after that, specifically some things about social listening. Absolutely. Campus Sonar is an agency that partners with college campuses as well as higher ed associations, particularly those that really value marketing and communications as a strategic ally to what is happening all across campus, regardless of what they're doing, what they're trying to achieve. And together, we empower the leaders at the campuses and associations we work with insights from online conversation and social listening data. So that's what makes us pretty unique. And our clients use those insights to develop and align strategies with the goals of the institutions they serve through an audience-centric lens. So we're a bit of market research. We're a bit of strategy consulting. Our really strong niche is social listening research and, of course, higher education, which we are dedicated to. Can you share some of the institutions you've supported in recent months, years, anyone that uh, we may come to mind? I can, as I quickly make sure I only share the ones that I have permissioned. We have done work over the last couple of years with Brigham Young University, West Virginia University, okay. we've been working with for quite some time. The University of Montana recently shared some of our work at the American Marketing Association Conference. And we're currently in a long-term partnership with 17 organizations with the, cor- the history of campus sonar, which we're about five and a half years old now. Awesome. We've worked with just under 100 institutions. Wow. Wow. Impressive. Obviously a impressive list of some notable, significant sized institutions there as well. All right, There's you, lots of nice, small, medium ones in yeah, there too. I'm just yeah. making sure I respect our agreement. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned social listening. Now I'm a social media nerd myself. I specifically really love Twitter. I'm, I'm on Facebook. I mostly only use it for family, friends, sharing baby pictures. Instagram. I'm a visual person. I'm a graphic designer by nature and I'm a wannabe 
photographer, as I call myself. So I love that aspect of it. But when you speak about social listening, explain to people at home how you guys use that and what in detail, you can get into the nuts and bolts of it. I'd love to hear that (laughs) about what that means for your organization. Right. So we use enterprise level software to crawl any of the publicly available mentions online that that come out in like social media or syndicated Mm -hmm. form. So very different from Google, we'll say, but not just social media. So people automatically think of Twitter and Instagram as sources for social listening data, which is true. But we also have online media as a source. So we do a bunch of media and journalism analysis, individual blogs, forums like Reddit, which is another large source of conversation, but also the niche forums. So like, for example, we'll see DC urban mom, the Washington DC area has a parent forum where folks like to talk about colleges, like all of these really unique things. We put all of that together in one data set to find out what individuals and organizations and the public are saying about a brand or a topic or an experience. And we essentially use that entire data set as an online focus group. So we can see what trends are, what the reach or awareness is of particular topics, if that's growing, if it's fading, we can look at the sentiment of that conversation. And specifically at Campus Sonar, we have started to learn how to slice and dice it in ways that help institutions better focus in on the types or sources of conversations that they care about the most. So we can, you mentioned alumni at the start of the episode, we can look at conversation about and from alumni based on how or where people are mentioning things and see what that alum conversation or perception is about an institution, or we could look at conversation about or not about athletics, which is a huge chunk Mm -hmm. of conversation for college campuses, and really start to answer questions about the experience of different populations, like I said, the emergence or dying down of issues, and overall brand health, brand awareness, brand management. That's where we focus a lot of our time on is understanding how individuals and populations are perceiving a college or university and how that is or isn't aligned with how the college wants to be perceived and helping them bridge that gap. Interesting, because obviously a lot of the colleges, universities, they have their marketing teams. They may be doing things like this. How effective? Who knows? But here you are serving a unique role and being able to gather this type of data, these types of analytics and present to them. How in the world do you think of this type of business? You're the founder, you're the CDO. How does this even start for you? Does this, were you in another line of work that this popped into your head and said, hey, I'm going to start this? Or how do you come about starting up such an organization? I saw a problem and I wanted to fix it. So my background is in higher education. Okay. I spent about seven and a half years working on campus in marketing roles. Okay. And then I took a really weird career shift. Makes a lot of sense now. At the time, I and many others thought it was very weird. I went to go work for a student loan servicer running their social media. The interesting thing there is I was still higher ed adjacent because my population was current college students who had recently borrowed to fund their education. But my resource pool and my reach was very different because I was working with 8 million potential students as an audience. And I was working at a enterprise level company that had resources that my the small community college I was at last didn't have. So at that student loan servicer job was where I learned how to do social listening beyond what I would refer to as a paper clip and duct tape approach <laughs> that I was doing while I, get I was on it. campus. I totally get it. Um, so in, in my quest to do that job 
better to provide good customer service for our borrowers, to have a good understanding of our reputation and our competitive set for the business, to understand emerging issues, like all the things that we now do for colleges. I had to figure out how to do this well. And through that process, I think I tried out, I demoed probably a dozen platforms, but I hands-on tried out three different software platforms until I found one that I thought worked. And then I started realizing all of the, the unique customization through categories and analysis that we could be doing. And then my job changed as it does when you're ambitious and work at a place <laughs> that has multiple opportunities. And I started actually supporting new business initiatives for the student loan servicer. So I was doing market research in of ways, surveys, focus groups, interviews, and social listening because I knew how to do that. And I then applied social listening as a research method to evaluate emerging markets or new business opportunities or understand an audience. And as I was doing that, I was also teaching a social media measurement for higher ed course online. And the two kind of melded in my head of this is how I would do this now at a senior leadership level on campus, knowing what I know. So I got together with a campus marketer so that I was allowed to present at the AMA <laughs> Higher Ed Conference since I was no longer on campus and presented a, a conference presentation. This would have been December of 2016. The title was something along the ways of three or five ways higher education can use social listening. And it was about brand awareness and enrollment and understanding emerging issues, all of these things. And that room was packed pre-pandemic, thankfully, standing room only, people sitting on the floor. But afterwards, the there was a line to talk to the two of us as, as speakers, which is always a great sign. Yeah. But they were all saying the same thing, which was, this is a great idea. We absolutely have to do this. I completely agree that this is the direction that our marketing communications offices and leadership mm -hmm. needs to go. But here's all the reasons why I can't do it. And at the time, I definitely didn't consider myself an entrepreneur. And I came back to my day job running market research for a student loan servicer, and I complained about it. <laughs> And I complained to the wrong or the right, depending how you look at it, person who was our new business development manager. And he looked at me and he just said, you have articulated to me a problem with a market that you believe you have a solution for, that you're uniquely suited to provide our entire new business pipeline because you've supported it as a market researcher for other people's ideas. Why don't you just put your idea in? So I ended up starting Campus Sonar through that process. I essentially convinced my employer to let me start a new business for them. Oh. So I've referred to it as intrapreneurship because all along the way, I never did or nor did I feel like I went out on my own. But... I was tasked with doing all the same things an entrepreneur would do just in more of this internal corporate environment. Yeah. So the parent company has evolved and changed over time as have we, but it was all about finding that need and then spending a lot of time up front to talk to potential clients. I interviewed folks, I did, we did market surveys. And then early on, you could have caught me at any conference that would take me for about really? two and a half years talking to people. And now we've really hit on where we provide value, how we can partner with folks long-term and where social listening provides the most impact with all of its insights versus where it's like a nice to have or a flashy dashboard. Yeah. You said you guys are about five years old now. Yeah. October 6th, 2017 is our birthday. Wow. So that doesn't even seem like that long ago, but here you guys are you mentioned all the different organizations, the different institutions you guys are working with, large and small. You've got a team 
team behind you now. You've got your own marketing and just working with you. How in the world did growth, how did you take the growth? Let's put it that way. Did you see challenges that just were overwhelming? How did you figure out, I got to bring someone else on board. It's time to bring someone else on board. Okay, now I got to start segmenting this out because we can't do everything. Were there, simple question, what were the growing pains? Gosh, so many. At every step of the way, it's been terrifying. <laughs> it continues to be terrifying. So I started with two staff, two analysts, and that was the proof of concept go prove to us that this works. And I wasn't really worried about it since then or at that point, but we had so many growing points. Every single time that I've had to decide to not be in charge of something or to do something has been an interesting challenge because I'm the type of person that wants to help. I want to know how to do everything. I want to be really involved. And we are now at a point in 2023 where no client should want me to be doing their social listening because I am nowhere near as good as the four analysts we have right now who are doing that work. And they have evolved the processes well beyond what I thought I would have been able to do. There was also a time where I spent hours and hours in our CRM for the marketing team because I was deeply invested in the marketing Mm -hmm. that they were doing. And now they will kick me out if they see me there because (laughs) they are evolving it beyond it. But The growing pains were many. And I will have to say, we also grew this business during a pandemic. 2020 was going to be our year. (laughs) We we were poised to have a breakout year in 2020. And March came and everyone stopped spending money unless they could tie it immediately to plugging what they thought was going to be the massive enrollment drain or the melt hole. And we tried to pivot to meet that need, which was a bad idea. For us and ended up having a bunch of short-term relationships with folks to try to serve that problem, but didn't build it long-term. And we actually, as a headcount business, shrunk then over time between 2020 and 2021, not because we had to lay anybody off, but because people decided to pursue other opportunities in large part, I think, because we as a business were stagnant. We were not growing at the rate we wanted to. We were still stumbling to figure out how to exist in this fully remote pandemic world. We're having fun. (laughs) It's great that we were having fun at work, but weren't really making that progress. And the big growing pains and success really came in 2022. So we laid a lot of groundwork with goodwill in 2020. When we realized our sales plan was turned upside down, we started doing a lot of um, what I would call like community benefit work. Mm -hmm. We're analyzing and studying the conversation about the pandemic. So that bought us a lot of goodwill and also helped us test out a lot of uh, strategies. And then in 2021, we kept trying to focus. So a lot of our growing pains have been figuring out how to do what matters the most and provides the most value for us as a business and for our clients while recognizing that that means there's a lot of things we want to do or could do or are good at doing that don't fit that. So if you could go in the Wayback Machine, which I'm sure you can, and look at our website in 2020 and the number of services that we offered, um, and then you go look at what it will look like probably as this comes out, because in real time right now, it'll be by the end of next week, we have completely focused into how we serve clients. There's not seven services you could buy from us. There's one and a half. (laughs) 
Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. And every time somebody that I deeply cared for as a professional and a person left the business for their own career growth, that was a growing pain for me. So I, I don't know how to answer the what are the growing pains no, question you're good. other than literally every <laughs> single day. And even success brings growing pains. We had 2022 was the best year of the business by far. We, in terms of metrics, we sold more in 2022 in services than in the entire history of the business before that. Very excited about that. Also meant we were busy as heck. Yeah. Scrambling to get it all done, trying to work through a bunch of things. If you go back and ask my team, like what were, what were the growing pains? They're going to align very clearly with what looks like the best successes on paper. So it's been a wild ride and will continue to be. So you mentioned how when the business first started, you were just highly ingrained and locked in and now things have evolved you get through the pandemic you say 2022 was your you had a just fantastic year and the team that you have in place is taking things to a new level what has that taught you about being a leader i think for me i always I have the opportunity to be in leadership roles and there are certain things I struggle with and certain things that I just love doing. A, I had not done it a lot. And so it was really hard for me to let things, let projects go because I'm so used to being the doer. As you get this business rolling, you have a fantastic year and you want to keep that momentum going forward. Um, Leadership wise, how do you keep that ball going in the the right direction? And if you were to tell someone in a similar boat with a being an entrepreneur or a new business, a growing business, a lot of people coming out of the pandemic decided that was their time to start their own business. That's the opportunity. What would you tell them about the things that you've learned over these times when you had to let people move on for different career or you just wanted to see this business that you're doing continue to go in the right direction? What has that taught you in terms of leadership? That's a really good question. And I feel like everyone listening should know I don't have any notes prepared to do this. That's fine. Directly off the cuff. (laughs) I think that what I have learned, and I'm specifically thinking about the fact that I am now in a position where I've got three areas of the business, client services, marketing, and sales that report directly to me. And I'm doing my best to get out of their work (laughs) on a day-to-day basis. So what I've learned is we say it a lot, but I've learned how to operationalize what it looks like as a leader to be obsessed with understanding, interrogating, and communicating the why of what we're doing. And I'm reminded that just because our mission and vision statement hasn't changed since we launched in 2017, doesn't mean that it is clear to everybody how that applies to their jobs today, right now. Part of my job as a leader is to make sure that is continually clear to everyone, which means I have to over and re-communicate all the time and also be thinking to myself, like, why does this still matter? Why does it matter in the context of where we are now? So I think about that. I've learned a lot about living and sitting in the why. I've also had to learn as a a highly motivated person who likes to get stuff done that my job as a leader doesn't produce a lot of work art, like work product. And I need to be okay with that. And I need to realize where where my actual value is being contributed to. And that's in coaching, it's in guidance, it's in relationships, and it's in my ability to guide us forward. So there's the why, 
the absence of work product and being okay with that, (laughs) understanding what it means. And then I would think the third is a combination of being able to continue to look forward, to know where we're going and regulate how and when I'm actually making a decision for us to go there. Because I need to consider a lot of different opportunities, but at the end of the day, only one or two of those is going to be something we do. And I, as a leader, have to be really careful about not distracting or overwhelming my team about this futuristic brain of mine and helping them understand where we're going like right now. So that's... I don't know. I could write an article about that now. Yeah. Thanks for asking that question. No, that's good. <laughs> and you're a heck of a writer. And I know you do a lot of public speaking. You go out to these uh, events and conventions and things like that. I think a lot of things that, I've, and again, this is coming from me, uh, being able to go in and you sit and you hear a, a public speaker talk about things to motivate you and get you going in the right direction. There's a lot of talk about leadership. I follow a great guy, Kevin DeShazo on Twitter. He talks a lot about leadership qualities and not just leadership, more, more or less motivation and keep it, pe- giving people positive mindsets to doing the right thing. And obviously business-wise, you guys are doing the right things. If you're having success, you're having growth, you want to keep that train going in the right direction. It's obviously, it's you can see it. You guys are doing something correct. It's great to hear that. You're quite the gardener, I see from Twitter. That is true. That's obviously something you really enjoy. <laughs> yeah, some people call it a farm in yeah. my backyard. But yes, particularly for people who may not have this context, vegetables. Flowers I'm not so great at, but if I can eat it, I want to grow it. Nice. What's been the most successful quote unquote harvest you had? We won't say now because we're in the middle of January now, but to wrap up the last the last season. If we're going to talk about successful in terms of quantity, I have never had a bad year in growing tomatoes. Okay. And one of the super amazing things this year, so actually it was a rough gardening year. I gardened under a really large, not directly under it, it'd be too shady, but very near a large box elder tree in Mm. our backyard. And in the second week of June, I think it was, which is just when the gardening season is getting going really in Wisconsin, we had a huge storm come through and the entire tree fell on the garden. (gasps) Oh no. So that was a bummer. Literally, I just finished planting the section by it and I had all these cool trellises and it was smashed and it took my husband literally all summer to attempt to clear that stuff away. But stuff still grew. Yeah. So it looked a little mangled, but it grew. And I was really proud that we had far more than enough tomatoes for me to blow past my goal of canning (laughs) homemade salsa. So by the end of the summer, I think I had 65 pints of homemade salsa in my pantry. Wow. And we love that stuff. Best salsa on the planet. Awesome. So I would say that was pretty successful. Awesome. I'm not a gardener, but I'm a lawn person. And I had my very first time of wanting to have something with color in the yard. So I didn't do anything in the ground because I didn't get anything going soon here in Missouri. That's a goal this year to put something in the ground. I didn't do anything at the end of the year. I should have done that to get it going, but we'll see what the spring comes. But I did pot some things and had really good success. So that gave me some positive reinforcement that give it some attention, give it some water, give it some sun, learn about what it needs. And you can keep things growing. I commend you for having a tree fall and still able to get something going because I'm just... Uh, figuring out what's too much water, what's not enough water, what needs sun, what's too much sun, what's not enough sun. But I had some great success with some things last summer. I'm hoping that when we get through into March and April, I can get some more things in the ground here in my neck of the woods. So 
You'll get there. It's a process. My husband and I started gardening the first summer of our relationship together in containers on the upstairs balcony of the upper duplex that we were living in. And that was 2009. Okay. So it's taken a while yeah. <laughs> to get to where we're at and learn it, how to do it at this scale. Yeah. It was more or less me more... I wouldn't say afraid, more afraid of wasting the money of buying and then planting and then having it die. Cause it was a process to learn how to like properly maintain a lawn and know when to buy grass seed and plant it and have it grow successfully rather yeah. than throw it down, nothing grow or have it grow and then die immediately. But I've learned so much. It's taken like three or four years and I'm trying to move that now along to flowers, perennials, annuals, and we'll see what else happens. I never post on Twitter the plants that I kill and it's a lot. <laughs> it, and in that social media nuts though, we always, everyone posts the positive things. We never share the other things that weren't successful because that's the lens. So thank you for sharing that. That is perfect because I've been the same way as lots of failures in the lawn, but I always share the great ones when I just mowed and it looks perfectly green with the stripes in the yeah. lawn. Thank you so much for doing this. This was fun. Tell folks how they can follow you on Twitter. And if they want to connect to learn a bit more about Campus Sonar, I'd like for you to share that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I too spend a lot of time on Twitter and plan to be there as long as humanly possible. We all have the opportunity now. (laughs) Right. You can find me on Twitter at Liz Gross, that's L-I-Z-G-R-O-S-S. 144 because 144 is a dozen, which is a gross <laughs> there stand you go. Out in some way, shape or form. And you can find out more about Campus Sonar at www.campussonar.com. We're also at Campus Sonar on Twitter. And the team behind that presence is always keeping it fresh and updated with new insights with what we're learning about the industry. I will be sure to share Liz's contact info. She's also very active on LinkedIn as well. So she she's just such an open book posting things and no I say that not, not even in a joking like aspect like, I chuckle because I'm like yes I'm overly transparent about many aspects which is life. which is even that but professionally I think it's refreshing to see it though because I think a lot of folks like we just said they share only the nice glossy stuff but it's human I love to see people sharing more human stuff that was one of the things when I was a social media manager for college sports I really wanted to do but you can you walk that line so much and you have to you know what's right what's wrong but it's you it's your personal brand not even when it comes to campus sonar when you even see things on linkedin about other companies hiring and things like that it's just refreshing to see talking about just things going on in society just all those things like i said even outside of Campus Sonar, for me, it's been a fantastic connection. Really great to connect and do this. And guys, when you guys do something else, I definitely want to have you back on because, again, for me, higher education is something that I'm passionate about. And I'd love to hear more when you guys have some other new branch of Campus Sonar growing. So thank you again so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. There's lots of persons of interest at Campus Sonar, so I'm sure there'll be something to share. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Persons of Interest. This podcast is a personal project with the goal of sharing stories that might inspire others to create their own path. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have a guest suggestion, you can reach Derek on Twitter at vdocket. This has been Persons of Interest. 